Previously on Hound Radio's Arch Campbell podcast. I have hardly been home because I've been out watching so many movies. Oh. Uh, the, the, um, the Hollywood Reporter listed the 30 films that are likely to contend for an Oscar this year. Mm. Um, so yeah. far, Arch, I've seen 20 of them. Oh, um, my God. I know. And uh, and uh, and there's more to come. So I'm. I, I, I'm pretty impressed with myself. So, but um, uh, so, so please give me a pat on the back. I feel like I'm the uh, LA equivalent to uh, Cinema Lou. The Arch Campbell podcast featuring Arch, Lou Katz, and a cast of thousands begins now. Well, that was our friend Oliver Jones on the flood of movies that are coming for Oscar and awards season. And here we are in the beginning of it. Hello, everybody. I'm Arch Campbell, and this is the podcast that tries to keep you informed on the ever-changing world of entertainment. Lou Katz, my esteemed friend, <laughs> producer, and director, is in the control room with the sharpest razor blades in town, all ready to do, <laughs> all ready to do the editing for you, Arch. <laughs> Maybe there's one or two people who remember when tape was edited with razor blades. They even used to edit uh, videotape with razor blades. Jeez. But uh, we're going, we're going way back. Way back. Now. So uh, as I said, this is the beginning of movie award season, and the year is winding down. And uh, I thought it would be nice as we get into December to talk to some of our regular friends one on one to really give them a chance to uh, talk, and so we can pick their brains and learn how they rank movies and where they came from. So it is a great pleasure to begin this end of the season series with Bill Newcock. Oh. Hello, Bill. Oh, that would be me. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was I was distracted. Hello. How are you doing? Good. How long have you and I known each other, Bill? It's funny. We uh I we knew each other in passing for probably 10 years and then mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would say probably around 20 20- 10? 10 we became friends we were the two old guys we were we, well, that's, that's what happened we'd be going to these screenings and <laughs> and i'd look around and it would be you know little girls yes. and pigtails and, yes. and boys yes. you know chewing bubble gum and, and there was art so we, we just gravitated to each other well let me tell everybody uh that uh you are now the reviewer for the saturday evening post you were the longtime critic for AARP. You invented the phrase movies for grown-ups, which I That's have true. always been impressed about. And which so, I, to my eternal regret, I do not own the copyright to. <laughs> well, well, Donald Trump couldn't get your fired either. So, you know, <laughs> you're in good company there. So here we are. And uh, and I I want to tell you how much I appreciate your friendship. I always enjoy it. Oh. Uh, the the screening became so you. much more fun when we started sitting together. <laughs> so, because the snarky so, le- the snark level just went through the roof. Yes. <laughs> so here we are. We're getting toward the end of the year, and uh, I, I I always began this podcast with "What are you watching? What do you like?" Because we've got to acknowledge that more people are watching stuff on streaming services and television than they are at movies. So True. do you stream anything? anything you know, I especially I, like they pay me to write movie reviews. So that's uh-huh. kind of what I do. And, and the only shows I watch on TV are the ones that my wife, Carolyn, drags uh-huh. me kicking and screaming to. So 
So the shows I watch tend to sound and feel like what you'd find being discussed at a ladies' book club. <laughs> so what, what what are the ladies like? The, the, the ladies like lessons in chemistry. Yes, yes. Uh, Brie Larson, she plays a 1950s chemist, and it's it's, it's pretty soapy, but it has elements. Um, I, I, sometimes I think it wants to be Mrs. Maisel in some ways, except not funny. Mm-hmm. So everyone is everyone's serious all the time. I, I said to Carolyn, I'll 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 take a drink every time someone smiles on this show, and, <laughs> and my drink evaporated because no one was smiling on on the show. I, nevertheless, a lot of people production. love the book Lessons in Chemistry, mm-hmm. uh, which is was a very popular book that uh, spawned this uh, series. And I guess the series is over. It is. I guess it was. I mean, it was only four episodes, was it? It was eight. Oh, eight. Okay. I don't. There's not going to be a second season. I enjoyed it. I watched all eight. Yeah. So did I. And interesting about that is we were watching it. I was watching it. Gina, my wife, walked into the room. She started watching it, and then you know I was in like episode five. She she said, "Go back. Yeah. Show me the first four. Oh, I can so, see it really resonating with women. I mean, yeah, it really yeah, does a nice yeah. job of sort of. Encapsulating what women's life was like in the you know before the 1960s, in the 50s, yeah. yeah. And the other one we we just finished was all the light we cannot see, which is an, which is that that is the four parter about set during it's another novel set during World War II in France, and mm-hmm. this courageous young blind woman who's broadcasting stories and code, and the way that she reads the code is she's reading chapters from Jules Verne's Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. Before I begin my broadcast today, I have something to say. In this time of darkness of invading cities i'm trying to remember light lasts forever hugh laurie is her doting father and uh mark ruffalo plays her her father and Uh he has this weird kind of accent because it's like set in france and mark ruffalo is sort of doing this weird harvard slash sorbonne accent (laughs) but is that on um netflix i think it's on netflix maybe it's on apple tv i don't know but uh it got me to think about the whole show because, you know, they're all, everyone's, there are Germans, there are French, there's a sprinkling of Americans, and they all just speak to each other fluently. Like, they, yeah. they all they all speak this sort of ersatz British accent. And I, I was thinking, why did, we go, why did they go to war with each other? They understood each other perfectly. And that's the way the movies are with Germans. They didn't know how to... It was... Remember a few years ago, people started watching A French Village. Did you ever get into that? No, I didn't, no. Uh, I forget where it popped up, maybe on Prime, and then I I got so involved in it. And it was the story of this French village uh, where the Nazis, uh, they're in uh, Vichy, France. So uh, the Nazis kind of take over, but don't quite. They're about to take over, and it's how the mayor and the politicians deal with the Nazis and all the things that happen. And it keeps going, What and uh, pretty soon there are... Uh, spies and undercover people and i think it went like eight seasons started wow. in, in i've never 40, even heard of it a french village oh, is that on and it, like prime or somewhere uh i it started on prime yeah. and then to finish it up i had to join some of the oddest services <laughs> i ever heard of <laughs> i can't even tell you the name it goes goober in, and uh <laughs> watsis yeah <laughs> so anything else you're you're streaming no not not I'm, I'm i'm in full end of the season movie watching mode now well uh, this is the time of year that we start getting into 10 best and i won't hold you to a top 10 
But I do want to ask you, uh, what do you like at the movies? What have you liked? My favorite of the year, I think I think it's a tie. I didn't think it was going to be a tie, but it turned out to be The Holdovers, which I just absolutely loved. Yes. Paul Giamatti as a as an eccentric uh, school teacher. Love that. Alexander Payne. Alexander All Payne's, of his movies. I'm in the tank so for good. Alexander Payne completely. Even, even uh, 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 with all the people, everyone was shrunk down to one inch high. That movie was called Downsizing. I like that. Oh. I don't remember downsizing yeah. so much it. as Not, no uh, Sideways uh-huh. and uh, The Descendants, Descendants and Nebraska mm-hmm. and, and anything except, I don't remember, what is it, shrinking? <laughs> it's called downsizing. downsizing. I kind of remember downsizing. It's an outlier in his oeuvre. Was I mean, that Matt Damon? I forget who it, I actually I don't remember it, who it was. It might have been Matt Damon. Anyway, so my, my my second favorite movie, which is right up there with it, uh-huh, is, yeah. is Oppenheimer. I just loved yeah. Oppenheimer. Yeah. Despite I mean, and it's it's a credit to how fantastic the first two hours of that movie is are because I could have done without the second, the third hour mm-hmm. for the most part. But um, gosh, that I, I that's one of those movies. You know, the the Blu-ray. 4K DVD has shown up, and I'm going to watch it, you know, here at home again because it's just that. I, good. I am with you on Oppenheimer. Yeah. In fact, I uh, went to the theater to see it, and then I went back. A friend took me out to Dulles to Udvar Hazi. I saw it twice, and I'll probably watch it again. Yeah, I've got one that I'm almost ready to tie with Oppenheimer. What's that? And I wonder. I I should make you guess, but it's the Maestro. I haven't the, seen the Maestro yet. The Bernstein. I really want to see that. It is, uh, and they're sending out critics. I, I saw it because they're sending out critics DVDs, so oh, I bet you'll yet. get one soon. Yeah. Uh, and if you don't, demand them. I demand <laughs> <laughs> The story of Leonard Bernstein's life told through the eyes of his wife, Felicia, and the celebration of culture in 40s and 50s mm-hmm. uh, and Bradley Cooper directs it and I'm just you know and I'm not inclined to like him he's not he's not a likable guy yeah. from what I can tell or maybe his characters aren't likable and I'm just I'm 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 practically in a tie as the best movie well, I've seen this I've, year. I heard it's great just, and he directed you know he stars and directs and, mm-hmm. wow okay yeah. so but this is your <laughs> Is but enough that, about me. That, am I talking too much? <laughs> enough about me. What do you think of me? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, my third place would be Killers of the Flower Moon, which yeah. I just, I just, yeah. again, so few movies earn their three hours when they do right. that. And, yeah. but that one does more so than Oppenheimer. It earns that last hour, uh, really. Um, a movie, uh, did you see this arch back in March? It was a movie called A Thousand and One. No. Tanaya Taylor. No. This no. is one. I just saw it as a screener uh, this this past week. Mm-hmm. Um, a fantastic film. It, it's set in the Bronx. Uh, Tania Taylor, who's a who's a singer, is this I think mm-hmm. her acting debut, and she is a revelation. She plays a woman who kidnaps her son from child services. Oh yeah, and then raises him, and it's the story of his entire childhood and adolescence and young adulthood and their relationship. And the revelations are just fantastic, and the acting is wonderful. Tell me more about your foster mother. You like her? Would it make you feel better if you came and stayed with me? Yeah. The city had him. He's not supposed to be with me. Can't you get locked up for Not if you keep it to yourself. Where's my dad at? He's gone. But you wouldn't have liked him anyway. I got somebody else in mind. I was kind of a little dragged kicking and screaming to because I didn't think I was going to like it. But 
I absolutely loved it. It's really, you really, think really it's, good. Uh, is it uh, streaming now? Can people find it like on Prime or someplace? It should be because it, it was in March. I, I think they uh-huh. still charge you for it. I think it's it, it's not free on Prime, but I think you can find it on Prime. Five ninety-five. Uh, and, and it's, it's a sad thing about movies that get released in March because you know, her performance is certainly Oscar nomination worthy. And right. uh, I hope people get remember it. Um, another film I liked loved was Revoir Paris, Memories of Paris. Oh, um, I it's forgot. A French French film, obviously, <laughs> and it uh, en français, as they say across the ocean. And he, uh, it, it's about a woman who is in a terrorist attack on a restaurant, on a cafe in Paris, and mm. everyone dies except her and a couple other people. And it's about her recovery from that. And it's about, you know, they, she starts attending um, uh, focus or, or groups with people who were in, the, in with her. And she starts, you know, it affects her relationships that she already had. And, you know, people, she, no one, only the people who were through the tri- crisis with her can understand how she looks at life now. It's really, really very good. Now what's so, the name of that again? It's called, memory. the English name is Memories of Paris. Mm-hmm. Or Paris, I'm sorry, Paris Memories. And mm-hmm. the French name is Grefois Paris. But really just an excellent film. Okay, um, there's there's two that are not popping up. That's yeah. interesting. Paris Memories, a thousand uh, one. But can I back up one sure. quick minute? Uh, I just watched Killers of the Flower Moon mm-hmm. uh, and and liked it a lot. Except I didn't like the last fifteen minutes, and I don't want to give away the last oh, fifteen okay. minutes. Yeah. But uh, it it. Do you feel like he was n- like punting at the in those it last fifteen minutes? Knocked me out of the. He was. It was such a um, an authentic representation of Oklahoma in the 1920s, mm-hmm. and then he because uh, you were there. Forward, yeah, <laughs> well, he fast forwards to the 40s, where which I was there, <laughs> and and totally lost. So yeah, I I I chose because he had treated me so well for the previous uh, two and three quarter hours. I just allowed him that, but I understand that, and that's that's a criticism I hear about the film that, that last fifteen minutes. Uh, and so that's the only reason I wouldn't make Killers of the Flower Moon uh, the best movie of the year. I yeah. I think Oppenheimer is without a doubt going to be the best film of the year and the Oscar favorite. But I feel uh, like it. I, watching Killers. I kept thinking, man, you know, I resisted it because of its length. Mm-hmm. And I kept thinking, man, this is good. This is good. Okay, Paris I didn't feel, I did not feel the extra hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, and go moving on. Another film from earlier in this year, The Lost King, with Sally Hawkins. Oh, yeah. Love that. Yeah. And it's hard to believe that was this year. Do you have any books on Richard III, the king? I know who you mean. We have eight titles. I'll take them. Which ones? Guys, I saw it in Toronto the previous year, so it's been a very mm-hmm. long time since mm-hmm. I saw it. Uh, that's uh, Sally Hawkins as a woman who's trying to re- rehabilitate the uh, reputation of Richard III. I I just want to say the Lost King uh, really got me because she she intuits where uh, Richard III is buried, mm-hmm. and nobody believes her. And uh, and it's a true I, story. I love that kind of story of yeah. somebody with uh, an idea and nobody pays attention. And, uh, the, and the most fantastic true part about that story is that she went to this parking lot where she thought he was buried uh-huh. somewhere under the parking yeah. lot. And the, the paint is worn off the parking sign that's painted on the pavement, but there's a K still there. And she says, he's under there where the K is. <laughs> and it's true. And they, and they refuse to dig there because they think she's just being stupid. And then they dig under the K. And that's where uh, Richard the, the Lost was. King. Dream scenario. Nick Cage plays a guy who's 
who suddenly for no reason at all starts appearing in everyone's <laughs> dreams. It's a it's a it's kind of Charlie Kaufman sort of flavor film, but um I really want to see it. And he sells here... this story so well. That's the part oh. that only no one else could have done this movie except Nicolas Cage. And that's that's the funny thing about his the great thing I think about his late career um or mid late career is he just makes the movies he darn well pleases to make. Paul, you've been on my mind recently. Huh? Because you keep popping up in my dreams. Have you been dreaming about me? Have I been dreaming about you? Yeah. Why me? Uh, I don't know. I'm special, I guess. Here's something I want to bring up about dream scenario and mm -hmm. about the movies in general. I really want to see it. And it is playing out in Virginia somewhere. I don't think it's in more than three theaters. And right. it's not at a, a landmark near me. It's not at the Avalon. It's not at uh, the theater at the mall, the AMC. Uh, I ha In order for me to see that, I need to make like a one-hour drive somewhere. <laughs> and uh, Well, I just listened of... to the Arch Campbell podcast when I'm driving long distances. <laughs> <laughs> um what does that say about the movie I, you know well I the, the, the thing is you know you expect that with a film that's going to streaming in two weeks like okay we'll throw uh -huh. it in a the theater for yeah. two weeks get a little yeah. box office yeah. but that yeah. movie's not slated for for streaming i don't think i think it's a, a straight theatrical um run so i'm surprised it's not in more theaters in dc i mean because it's got very good reviews I know it'll show up eventually, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, I want to uh, see it. Yeah, you'll. I know you'll like it. It has an arch uh, aura about it. Um, last night, I just watched this movie for a second time. Nyad with yes, uh, Annette Benning. Annette Benning as as the swimmer Diana Nyad, who swam between after on her fifth try at age sixty three or sixty four swam between Havana and uh, Key West, and she is fearless in this movie. I mean. You know, she needs to win an Oscar. They need to give her an Oscar, and it should not. They should not wait another ten years and give her some oh, consolation yeah. prize Oscar. She is good enough in this movie for for best actress, and Jodie Foster will be nominated for best supporting actress as the uh, her best friend. That's on uh, Netflix. I it think. It is. And it it's is very and accessible. And uh, when I watched it, I was immediately the the they set up Diana Nyad's life really well. Mm -hmm. They uh, threw clips of the real Diana Nyad, who was, uh, you know, a a well, a world renowned swimmer. And they show her on the Johnny Carson show. And uh, and the way they uh, they set her up is uh, terrific. And then you go to Annette Benning as Nyad in her 60s. Yeah. Deciding she's got to make this uh, Cuba to Key West swim 100 miles or more. And she's so uh, unlikable. That's the, yeah. that, you're, just, you're just so drawn to her because how could uh -huh. someone be mm -hmm. so clueless and uh, self-involved? But she just pulls it off. And, you, and usually when you have a character like that, you don't want to spend two hours with them. But she makes it her so interesting. You just want to see what happens next. Is that a theme of, you know, unlikable people? Because there's Nyad, there's Oppenheimer, who's not exactly a charmer. No, it's true. Uh, Leonard Bernstein uh, is not particularly likable. The holdovers, and Paul Giamatti is not likable. He's Gee, not you're, you're right. Maybe we you maybe know, stumbled I, on something. <laughs> and, and, and we come to another one, Flora and Son. Yes. Which is um, also on my list. Uh, by the guy who did once, I don't remember his name, the writer, director, the Irish, mm -hmm. Irish filmmaker. He does movies about musicians that turn out to be more about music than about musicians. And uh, he, 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 the, his films are almost like intellectual pursuits, music theory classes that are just told in a narrative form. 
He's, he's just wonderful, and the performances are, are great. The mother finds a guitar and wants to give it to her son, who won't take it. Mm-hmm. And so she uh, takes guitar lessons and gets the lessons over Zoom from... Um, who, who's the actor that plays? He, the... He's he, he's from. Um, <laughs> this here we go with the, here's yeah. the, the podcast <laughs> subtitle. That? Who's What's that guy that? in that movie who played what? <laughs> Not Reese. Is it Reese? Uh, Joseph Reese. Uh, oh, Joseph Gordon Levitt. Joseph Gordon Levitt. Yeah. Joseph Gordon, who is an underrated actor. I mm. guess you would call him a character actor. Now I've always liked his stuff. Yeah. And he makes this sing. They have this sort of emotional affair. Yeah. And the actress who is Irish is just, it's, she's, it's, an, it's delight. She's Bono's daughter. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Moving along. Um, still, the Michael J. Fox documentary. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite movies of the year. Just, I mean, the guy's always been an inspiration to people. Um, but you learn, you know, some people like in their position, they're, they're inspirational because they just sort of plug along and they, and then they keep overcoming their, their, uh, the challenges and the movie is about how he has focused his problems into something really important and, and positive. It's really a, a really good film. That's uh, I think, is that on Apple? That's on Apple. A, yeah, yeah. 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 So it's, it's accessible. Mm-hmm. Uh, somewhere in Queens. Do you see somewhere in Queens? I did Ray see Romano, somewhere in Queens. Which has yeah. nothing to recommend it other than it's just a film that you can just sit down and spend an hour and a half with these really fun people who are going through minor issues in their lives, you know, that, that, that they, that they can, because most of us, when we're particularly in middle age, you know, our problems are pretty lame compared to what we face later, or maybe what we had when we were kids, but, but they're, they're definitely middle-aged problems and it's just so much fun. And, 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 and Ray Romano and Laurie Metcalf, are in it and they oh, just they just really work, work great together you know that's 20 years ago i told him we should use uh ain't gonna be no rematch at the end of rocky that's 40 years ago my final film on this list is a new have you seen linoleum no with jim gaffigan no directed by colin no. west it's um and it's my wild card movie of the year linoleum he, he plays the host of a children's astronomy show where he has like cardboard props and things yeah. except the local pbs station where he makes it Puts it on at midnight, so no no kids can see it, even though it's a show for kids. And uh, one day he's out at his mailbox, and a Corvette comes crashing out of the sky and smashes in, in front of his house. And the guy driving the Corvette is an astronaut. And it just goes, who's actually played by Jim Gaffigan as well. And he comes to work the next day, and now that guy has replaced him on the show, and again, they're going to make it go national. Tony, did you give the Saturday morning slide to another show? They want a different host. Kent Armstrong. I, I can't believe you crashed your car yesterday. I'm afraid I have no idea what you're talking about. It's a lot of Michael Gondry, you know, Eternal Sunshine, because uh-huh, all the effects uh-huh, are practical. Yeah, every, yeah. every, there, he'll do things in cardboard that are supposed to be, you know, three dimensional. Um, it's, it's a lot of fun. I highly recommend uh, Linoleum. So wow. that's, that's, I think that was my top 12. So well, far. Uh, and that's your wild card, Linoleum. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Well, one of the reasons I wanted to uh, just have uh, solo guests for a little while is so that we could really get to know you. So tell me about your career. How did you get into reviewing movies? Well, I've always I've always been a writer, prim- first and foremost, and I was always looking for things that people would pay me to write about and, and, and something with a steady source of material. 
And movies are that, man. I mean, every day is another movie. If you want to write about it, it's probably like being, I kind of look at like, like being a sports writer a little bit in that, you know, the same people keep turning up and you get to find different ways to, to talk about them. But when I was a little, I had like a giver, remember give a show projectors? No, uh, there were these little no. slide things that Kenner made and they were little projectors oh. and they had five pictures on them and they, they project them on the wall. Oh. And uh, I, when I was, was a my... child, they gave me a give a shit projector. <laughs> That's what my parents thought. I'm sorry. Wow, that was couldn't resist. That came out of absolutely no. Give a show. I never heard of give a show. Yeah, they give. They they were little slides, and and they were uh-huh. based on TV shows, The Three Stooges, yeah, and, things. Yeah. and and I would have screenings at home and make my poor parents sit and watch these things, same ones over and over again. And that got me interested in, in, in visual storytelling because I was always mm-hmm. kind of interested if they told a whole story in five frames on those things. Mm-hmm. And the, my oldest friend, kid next door, John Hand, um, got into film started watching castle films remember the old castle films eight millimeter oh, yeah. yeah of the universal monster yeah. movies and we'd watch those well into the night and he became a filmmaker and and i was never in his films and i never wrote his films but i would watch them and i would critique them we, we would we'd talk about what worked in his films and what didn't that's probably my first job really? you know critiquing wow. eight millimeter uh home movies from the, the kid next door now, where was this? It's a Dumont, New Jersey, in Bergen County, uh-huh. Uh-huh. throwing rock throwing distance of the George Washington Bridge. Mm. Um, high school newspaper, I did some reviewing. Um, I remember the first movie I reviewed there was 1776, the musical with William wow. Daniels in it. Yeah. In college, I edited the weekly art supplement at Rutgers and uh, mostly reviewed Broadway shows because that was kind of mm. cool. Those were those were tickets worth like ten and fifteen dollars. You know, what those, what those did things. you see on Broadway? It was a weird time on Broadway. Um, this was the early, early 70s. 70s. It was the early 70s. And there, and I'd be hard-pressed to say I saw anything that was remarkably good or or, or that ran for a long time. Um, I saw Sondheim's Company, which was probably the biggest show, and yeah. I liked it. Fortunately, I gave it a good review. Um, but my my first job was in California as, as a newspaper guy on a little 11,000 news, uh, circulation newspaper. And Len Goldsmith, who was the film critic, died one day. And so the editor came out and he said, uh, who wants to review movies? And I said, I'll do it. And it was fun because although I was at this rinky-dink newspaper, and if you lived in L.A., the screenings were all downtown at the, the Academy Theater on, on yeah. Wilshire Boulevard. Yeah. Most beautiful, well-equipped movie screening room in the world. So for four years, I was going to movies there every week, twice a week. To What, to what city uh, was it? What suburb was this? I lived in Downey. Which, Downey, California. Downey, California, which is just a little bit north of Long Beach. So you'd hop on the five and go into town, mm. into into the city. Um, but then I got a job at the National Enquirer in, in, in 1980. And and, uh, and I was there for 10 years. And I never got to write another review, but, review, but I was doing celebrity journalism, you know, which. Were you in uh, Lantana, Florida? I was in Lantana, Florida. Florida. Flew all the way from L.A. to Lantana, Florida. Living. What was that like working for the National Enquirer? That's in another 1980s? show, Arch. That's a whole <laughs> other show. <laughs> Real tell, but give us a hint. Okay, Drop well here's okay here's crumb. one here. Well, okay, okay here's here's one. Um, uh-huh. It was eighty six. I think it was eighty six. Uh, we're sitting. It's a Friday night. We're we're putting the paper to bed, and a woman comes to the front door, mm. knocking on the door, and she's like waving a, a Polaroid picture. So they let her in, and this woman has a picture, a Polaroid picture of uh, uh, Gary Hart and oh. a young woman in front of a boat that's called the Monkey Business. Donna Rice. Donna Rice, and she says, "I'll sell you this for ten thousand dollars," because he had he had been all over the place saying, yeah. "Follow me around. Yeah. I'm not yeah. cheating." Yeah. 
just I dare you. And so she had this picture. And we spent about an hour and a half talking among ourselves. Is this something we do? Do we do this sort of thing? And finally, uh, the editor said, yeah, okay, the 10,000 bucks didn't mean a whole lot to him. Then we put it on the cover, but we had to have a good headline. And it uh, wasn't it wasn't good enough that he just had a girlfriend. So yeah. um, I still have the copy downstairs. I wish I knew I'd, I'd hold it up for you right now. The headline is, Gary Hart asked me to marry him, Donner Ross. Uh, <laughs> and if you knew the, what we had to go through to get someone to say that. <laughs> so, I always thought, I was, Burt Reynolds, we, we were out, we were uh, merciless on Burt Reynolds. Uh, and uh, yes. he would, um, he lived just up in Jupiter. Yeah, and he I, lived in Florida. I kind of felt like one day he was just going to drive a four by four through our front door. <laughs> You know, he was capable of that. I know. I, I know it. Yeah. I he interviewed him a couple of times. Couldn't have been nicer. And then the next week I would read that he punched out a guy, a reporter. <laughs> yeah. What did what did you do to make uh, to make Burt Reynolds mad? I don't remember. That was a weekly drumbeat. You know, cause, <laughs> because it was. I mean, to, I think it was the beginning of his health issues. I think he had uh, made uh, City Heat and he hurt his back playing, back in, playing City Heat. Mm-hmm. And so he was trying to find, let's say, the right balance of medications, and his, and his oh, behavior was man. even more erratic. Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, I, it, it's just one of those things. That, that, that was the there was a marvelous symbiotic relationship between the National Enquirer and Hollywood. And I would see oh, the classic classic cases: Michael Jackson in his glass bari- bariatric chamber, whatever uh-huh. that was called. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the bubble. Yeah, uh, we had that picture. We ran it on the front cover. And and Michael Jackson says, "How dare you invade my privacy?" Well, he gave us that picture. He he handed us the picture, and that was that was the whole thing. It was like everyone had plausible deniability, but actually they were in a dance of death with the National Enquirer all the time. Was, it was one of the reasons like a- I, I lasted there so long. I felt okay about it for the most part until towards the end. Because I knew it was a it was a game that that we were all playing together. Was that a lucrative career with the National Enquirer? I never made as much money for the rest of my life as I did when I was working uh, for the National Enquirer. And, but it but it became it became a burden after a while. The, 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 uh, by the, after yeah. the tenth year, they were going in directions they didn't wasn't it comfortable. So I found a job at the National Geographic mm. in Washington, and that that took me right. to Washington D.C. and I and I um, I was half I went for half the money. But I just I just couldn't stay at the Enquirer anymore, yeah, which is not yeah. an utterly uncommon thing that happened. People just rode that train as long as they could and then got off when the station arrived. Uh, and at the after the geographic, I didn't get to write showbiz at all. It was I, I took a, a class in screenwriting for TV, but I never, never did anything with it there. Um, but when I was, was about 1998 or so, my son, Ben, who was going to Boston University, got a job, a summer internship at a place called Allied Advertising in Washington, yes, D.C. I know it well. And he, as an intern, was was in charge of doling out tickets to the screenings every week. And so my wife, my late wife, Cindy, and I went to every movie that summer, and we loved this. Uh-huh. The following spring, I, I, I moved over to AARP, the magazine. We decided to start launching uh, movie uh, reviews. Uh, and I just started, like, I'd call the office. I'd say, what screenings are this week? And they'd tell me. And then I would just show up. Mm-hmm. And say I'm with ARP of the magazine, and they'd shrug. You know, the person with the clip with the clipboard would shrug and let and let me in. And this went on for months. And finally, my editor Hugh Delahanty gets a call from the woman who was running Allied at the time and said, "Yeah, your guy's got to stop sneaking into the screenings because he's not he's not allowed to be here." So then, what happened was, 
I, I, but by this time we had established a franchise. Movies for Grownups was actually working like as a pirate organization. So um, I started doing the thing where I would my ear to the ground, and uh, when they were giving away tickets at you know, a car dealership in Alexandria <laughs> or a record store in Maza, I'd go and get the tickets for the movie that you, week. They, there was no Lou Katz in those days. I couldn't I couldn't call in and they, and they get free tickets. Uh, give you a press ticket because of you were AARP and movies for grownups. I think the I think they resented me for sneaking in so much, and I kind oh, of understand. Oh, I mean, I I oh. I, I, I went almost a year of just sneaking into screenings and all well, I had to do is I like, go through the process. So then when, yeah. when, when, when we finally said, well, actually stepping back, when my editor came to me and said, what, what, you know, what are we going to do? We did apply and they said, okay, we will process your paperwork. Yeah. yeah. Which all they had to do was like check a box and they just didn't do it. And I think it was because they were, they were mad at me. I got to the point where, where if it was a movie I had to see, I would call the studio and the studio uh, would call allied uh, and, and uh, make me and make them let me. in. so they hated uh, me. That woman got transferred like to Europe or something. And uh-huh. the new person who came in didn't hold the same grudge. So the, so I went through the proper channels and, and, and you created uh, your own awards. Uh, the movies for grownups awards. Yep. Uh, and we started so as a feature sure in the magazine. And then by after two or three years, we were, um, we had an event in California at, at the Bel Air hotel. And then at the uh, Beverly Wilshire, and to this day, the fourth weekend of every February, it's uh, on great performances. The Movies for Grownups Awards is wow. on there, and I'm sure you met everybody. Everybody who was willing to talk to AARP, which was a <laughs> which was that's another story. Well, uh, the, the, but the, the, it's, the, it's a much larger group now than it used to be. Isn't it, it? it used to be, but you'd be surprised yeah. how many celebrities are in in. Are not not they're in denial, but not to themselves. They they understand the inherent ageism that still persists. That was what the movie as grownups was all about to try to fight against. Right. They just um, uh, to this day when they pass fifty, when they get past forty, there's there's mm-hmm. they start there's a certain trepidation that begins. Is and unfortunately, they're largely because movies are grownups. There's a a recognition of that audience that will watch those movies. But when you when they make that transition from being the ingenue to being mom or grandma, sometimes they make the leap yeah, from being yeah, the grandma because yeah. they've held on so long. Yeah, um, that's uh, uh, that's traumatic because it's it's. I mean, we've all been through periods in our careers when we suddenly weren't wanted anymore, and no matter how talented and wonderful we are, and uh, and that happens. Yes. And for you're an actor or an actress, to every it happens on a very public yeah. scale when you're a performer. So I get it. Oh wow. Well, the clock is ticking, and um, before the clock ticks us out, I think it's time to pitch over to Lou Katz. And uh, is Lou still here? Lou, <laughs> Lou has been. I'm, I'm sorry, well. I had to duck out to try to get you some freebies. <laughs> you that you mentioned a few minutes ago, but I, I had no luck. The prize closet I lost the key to <laughs> for Hound Radio, but we do have a fun little feature that airs every weekend. Check this out. Hey, I'm Hound Radio's Lou Katz. And it's me, it's me, it's JP. We hope you're going to join us every weekend for Sunday Night Stiffs. It's one hour of lost songs at 9 p.m. You know, songs that were never hits. Songs that no corporate station would ever play. And no wonder they don't. We'll even hand out a free honor each show. Right, JP? Yes, L-double-O, the Viagra Stiff of the Night. The one song that proudly stands out as the worst of the worst. And most of the tracks 
that you hear are by request. So don't blame us if you cringe while you're listening. And if you want to send one in, do it to Lou at HoundRadio.com. Sunday Night Stiffs, being barked out every weekend on the only internet radio station that has the paws or the balls big enough to scare listeners away. Hound Radio. Hound Radio. Well, uh, Bill Newcott, uh, you and I are personal friends, and I just want to tell you how much I enjoy my friendship with you, and I love that we can get together on these these Zoom sessions. I miss watching movies with you because um, those... There were almost unspoken conversations we would have during films. Yes, right. During which we settled how we felt about the movie. <laughs> but there was never anyone who would have had a good comedy. There was no one who would laugh more heartily at a good comedy than, than you. So that, that... I don't quite miss the screenings anymore. I don't. I'm kind of past having to be somewhere at a certain time and sit with a certain group, I'd kind of rather go on my own. But so under that vein, we need to make some arrangements so we can uh, pick up where we left off. That'd be great. We really need to do that. So we got about a minute left. Uh, We have a recommendation for the weekend. I do not. I have no recommendation. (laughs) Uh, I I forget what movie I even reviewed this week. Uh, But there's going to be... You know, I'm still such a fan of going to the theater. You know, and 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 we have a pretty we have a pretty good we have a good arts theater here at, at the beach, and a good uh, co- uh, multiplex that shows a good variety of films. Uh, so yeah, and let me give you a plug real quick. You're also the author of all the right wrong turns, a, a, a series of stories about life on the beach in Delaware. Yes, w- w- tr- true and sometimes twisted tales of coastal Delaware from the back roads to the beaches available on amazon.com and then billnewcott.com but my uh, point, reviews, reviews are at saturdayeveningpost.com slash movies and okay. I, that's all thanks. I really want people to do <laughs> thanks so much uh, we'll thanks, see Arch. you next week and uh, hope to see something good at the movies this is the Cats Podcasting System where it's not just a podcast but a podcast.